The opinions expressed in these materials represent the personal views of the participants and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Salient. This information is neither an offer to sell nor a solicitation of any offer to buy any securities. Any offering or solicitation will be made only to eligible investors and pursuant to any applicable private placement memorandum and other governing documents, all of which must be read in their entirety. Reference to any third party, specific product, process, or service by trade name, trademark, or otherwise does not constitute or imply endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by salient. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Correo, Director of Investor Relations and Communications at Salient. Welcome back to the Epsilon Theory Podcast. Our guest today is Grant Williams, founder and publisher of Things That Make You Go Hmm, and co-founder of Real Vision TV. We're joined, of course, today by Dr. Ben Hunt, and we're coming to you today from San Antonio, Texas, the day after the election. The day after. That was, uh, there, there'll be some people on this podcast who remember that, uh, that TV show. Yeah, right. So Ben, where where do we go from here? It's, well, it's Donald Trump. It, 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 it is Trump. Well, first I, I, I got to tell you how happy I am to have Grant here today. We're we're uh, both here in San Antonio for a conference, and uh, you know Grant's been a, a someone I've looked up to in this 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 business for for, for a long time. So uh, um, been able to had the pleasure of being on Real Vision a couple of times, Grant, and uh, three times. Uh, really appreciate you uh, returning the favor here and. Oh, uh, it's, it's, uh, if, if I could have spent this morning with anybody, Ben, it would have been useful. <laughs> I, I consider myself lucky to be around you and to hear your thoughts on this stuff after what was a, a, an incredible night last night. Well, I, so I just want to get kind of – let's start with some kind of vignettes or just thoughts that, that you've got and I've got. And I'll start with one, right? So as like a lot of people up late watching, waiting, waiting for them to, to finally call the darn election, right? It was, it was, it was crazy. It's like they – didn't want to, it was uh, like uh, trading places, you know, Mortimer Duke, you know, turn the machines back on, <laughs> yeah, turn the machines back on. But it, part of the, I'll say that what has really both rankled me throughout this election, uh, but also I think was really a, a driving force for why Trump won, it, it was really encapsulated for me in a, a CNN panel exchange there in the, the, the wee hours, you know, they haven't called it yet. Trump haven't, hasn't done his acceptance speech, but it was right after John Podesta, the campaign manager for, for, for Clinton came out on stage at the Javits center and said, uh, go home. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Right. Say, go, go home. We're not, we're not going to say anything tonight, which was just, you know, all inspiring in a negative way in and of itself. But then they go back to the, um, to the, the CNN panel where they have what I call team elite, right. you know, you know, <laughs> sitting there on one side and, you know, it's David Axelrod and he's just the usual sus- suspects over there. At least I did have David Gergen up there. Right. But he's, they had team elite sitting up there. And on the other side, they had the, the two Trump, people that they always have on CNN, right? It's Jeffrey Lord and, you know, Corey Lewandowski yep. or whatever his name is, right? And then um, Van Jones and somebody else. So the partisans, right, over there. Team elite and then the partisans. And the uh, Corey Lewandowski, who's, who's unpolished, right? Which is why he dropped him, mm-hmm. which is why Trump dropped him from the campaign, because he's not polished. I mean, he's what? He's like 
a New Hampshire like local, you know, political rep, right? And, and so, but he's saying what was absolutely true, which is that if the the if the shoe had been reversed, shoe had been on the other foot, and Hillary had won last night, and Kellyanne. Conway. Conway came Conway. out for the uh, the uh, for for the Trump campaign to tell his crowd, you know what, you know we're not going to make a concession speech, and you know we're gonna we're gonna wait till every vote is counted. If that had happened, you would have had this screaming outrage from every you know non-Trump pundit there on on the stage. And and Corey, he said it in a halting way because he's not polished, right? He's not he's not smooth like Team Elite is. Yeah. And he and he brought this up. And first, you know, the the guy sitting next to him, Van Jones, you know, just you know dismissively shut him down. And then one by one, Team Elite started lecturing Corey Lewandowski about how stupid he was to you know to to criticize the Clinton campaign for you know not conceding or not not giving that speech and and that to me encapsulated this entire campaign that's why trump won and 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 team elite still doesn't get it they still don't get it that when you tell someone like Corey that you're stupid he doesn't react by saying oh gosh i i guess you're right <laughs> i I, I am kind of dumb, aren't I? No, you react by well. First of all, you shut up because you're you're on to and you're just getting lambasted by all these people. So you shut up, but you think and you seethe inside. And you say, "I'm going to get you, sons of bitches!" Right? I, I I despise you, and that to me summed up the entire election because what what turned this election? I think it's northern white working class voters. It's Wisconsin. It's Michigan. Pennsylvania, right? These are these are people who voted for Obama twice. Yeah. So don't tell me it's race. Don't tell me it's race. They voted for Obama twice, and they didn't vote for Hillary. And 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 to me that 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 exchange on CNN just summed it up entirely. It's team elite for not just the past eight years, but the Bush years before that, the Clinton years before. You know, the last twenty four years has been team elite telling white working class citizens you're kind of dumb aren't you right and if you're complaining it's because you don't really get it yeah and this this election was that was a you know giant middle finger to that so that that was kind of my it seemed strange you know 2 a.m that for me that was the defining moment to see it play out on freaking cnn to encapsulate what to me drove this election. Well, it's, it's really funny that you bring that up because I had a similar moment, eerily similar, but back when Trump accepted the nomination of the Republican Party, I was here in Texas. Um, I landed at Dallas Airport just as he, his daughter was introducing him. All the screens were off. I was walking to the baggage claim. By the time I got back to the hotel, I caught the last 40 minutes, I guess, of his acceptance speech. And love him or hate him, that was, I thought, his first good speech. He mm-hmm. stuck to the prompter. Mm-hmm. He didn't mm-hmm. go off. It, and he hit every single point that you know people were concerned about. It was jobs. It was security. It was it was law and order. It was all yep. these things. Yeah. And when he finished, I sat there in my hotel and went, wow, that was a good speech. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is trouble for the Democrats because that's what people want to hear. 
And they went back to the studio and they right. had the token Republican, the token Democrat. Republican loved it, Democrat hated it. Right, let's get those guys out of the way. Yeah. Now let's talk to the, you know, the political experts. The experts, the experts, team elite. And so they went to the first guy. I forget his name now. And he said, oh, it was just a terrible speech. Right. It was, it was, it, he used the words disgusting and disgraceful. And he talked about how America is a country of light and that was all about darkness and people don't want to hear that and he's just ruined his chances. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is not what I just heard. So they went to the second independent political expert. Right. Right. And I'm, I'm waiting for him to go, well, no, you know, you're wrong. And he said, I agree with everything Bob just said. It was disgraceful. It was disgusting. And I'm thinking, oh, this is interesting to me. They cut to commercial. They go back to the room where they have the 30 people who've watched yeah. it. Yeah. And they say to the guy and moder- uh, um, moderated them, what did they think? And he said 75% of them viewed it favorably or very favorably. So, and I thought, ah, the penny's going to drop now. They go back to the studio. Okay, commentators, what do you think about that? Well, these people just don't get it. They clearly didn't get the right speech. <laughs> right. And that right. is when I realized right. that the, yeah. the establishment is not just the politicians. It's the media circus around them. They've all bought into well, this. Well, that's narrative. right, Grant. That's right. Right. And, and, and uh, yeah, I know you've had expressed similar sentiments, but, you know, in, in 2008, we saw a similar, I'll call it a reveal to use the parlance of reality TV, which is what we're right. saying. We're, yeah. we're trapped in this reality TV show, right? The big reveal. And the big reveal to me of 2008, you know, when you strip away the, the pleasant skin of our, in 2008, our market system, right? And you see the naked sinews of power underneath. Right where where Goldman Sachs gets bailed out, you know, every way till Sunday, and you know, you know J.P. Morgan, you know, Morgan's I, I, we, the list goes on. Right, uh, that to me was was such a, a a jarring moment. You know, professionally, it was you know good times for me because I was able to go short anyway. It was a professionally, you know, a hedge fund. We did great that year. But it was so personally wrenching, mm. you know, because I, I, I got to tell you, I was a patriotic guy and a good value investor, you know, going into 2008. And after 2008, I was neither. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I get that feeling all over again this year in 2016. It's not the epicenter is not the financial system. The epicenter of ripping away the pleasant pleasantries, mm. the, of, of the skin to see the naked power relationships underneath now the epicenter is in politics and media but it's the same it's the same thing well the media so the media to me that's been my big reveal of, of this campaign is you know I, I i woke up this morning and i you know i i have a facebook account because i stalk my kids to make sure they're not up to anything they should be yeah. up to. <laughs> uh, and over the years i've kind of picked up these random people that, that follow me and, I, and i'm looking through uh, looking for anything that my kids might be doing last night and i'm seeing friends of mine in the uk who are posting things like, I'm holding my kids close on this awful day. Yeah. And and I realized that you know, the, these these are people that don't have a full grasp of what's going on. They, they don't sit down and read about US foreign policy. They, they don't. I, right. I know these people. But the media has managed to create this impression overseas, if not quite so much here in America, as the result proved, that this is a disaster for the world. And, and anyone that voted for Trump was a moron and anyone, and it's back to your point about the elites and that media establishment, I think, hopefully will be undone by this because it was so clear what side everybody was on. Right. And to your point about the big middle finger, 
you know, I don't know if it will change the media, but you have to think people will now go forward and say, you know what, I need a new source of news. I need to find someone I can trust to give me information that's not trying to create something, a two-dimensional portrait of someone or an idea that I'm then going to adopt as my own and get really, really passionate about because it's spread overseas. I've had people, all my friends in Asia text me going, I can't believe this is happening. This is a disaster for us. Oh, my God, the world's going to World War Three. No, yeah. That's not how these things work. And, and, and just, you know, my personal view is I, I'm, I can't stand Trump. Right. But, and, right. I, and I, and I, and I'm, I'm very, I, I am profoundly disturbed by what a Trump presidency means from, I'll call it from an, an authoritarian, you know, statist control perspective. But let's, but to your point, right. The, 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 the presentation of this has been, I'll say counterproductive if your yeah. goal was to elect someone else. And and it, and, it, and it really does strike me, and when I think about kind of the big losers from this, it, it is the, again, it gets back to this question that, that I know you and I have talked about so many times, it's this question of authenticity. Yeah. Right? So true. And when you look at, and I'll use CNN as my, you know, whipping boy here, right? CNN was revealed as being utterly inauthentic, right? Because their presentation to the world has been, okay, we're not, we're not Fox, we're not yeah. MSNBC, we're the reasonable middle. And, you know, again, it was just a stripping away of that skin to reveal how inauthentic that was. And I don't see how they survive. I really don't. No, it's, it's going to be tough. For them. I, I completely agree. And, and I, you know, I agree with you about Trump. I, I've, I've had so many conversations with people the last six or seven months. And I, and I was saying to them, look, if the polls are close, Trump wins in a landslide. Because, you know, I spoke about this last night, this, this Brexit phenomenon, it's not the greatest comparison. But, but coming down to the polls themselves and what people tell. Right. Uh, the guys that asked them the, the, the questions, who do you vote for? People were inclined to not just say I'm undecided, but to outright lie this time because the stigma of voting for a guy like Trump, who, to your point, I mean, I, if I, I'm so glad I didn't have to vote because I would have had to hold my nose either way. But the stigma was so great of admitting to vote for Trump. I'm sure people came out of the booths having voted Trump and said, I voted for Clinton. Because- oh, and I'll give you some examples of that. So they had some of the exit polls out today. Uh, you know, to, to this point about, you know, you're actually, you lie at the exit poll, yeah. right? But they, th- this one in particular, I found telling, it was, it was uh, uh, asking uh, African-Americans who they voted for. And only a, a few percent said, oh, I voted for Trump. But a significant portion so that the, said, just refused to give an answer, yeah. just walked away. And so they voted for Trump. Yeah. They voted for Trump. And you put, you put the the exit poll of yes, I voted for Trump plus the people who just didn't answer the question, and it's more than twenty percent. Yeah, and with uh, with Hispanics, it's more than thirty percent. But it, but you have to add in that portion of well, what percentage just didn't answer the question, right? To to, to exactly yeah. what you're saying, and and you know this is the the benefit or the burden of you know ha- having been a political scientist guy. This this phenomenon you're describing it it happens on both the left and the right. So I remember that if you remember, uh, uh, Nicaragua, uh, the, you know, the, the Sandinista regime held elections, right. This is the Chamorro and they say, and, and Chamorro won, but the, the, the polls were very much in favor of the, the, the Sandinista regime, the leftist regime, uh, because people wouldn't tell the pollsters who, how they Just were really case, going to yeah. vote. 
um, you know, George Wallace in the 72 campaign, he won Michigan, won the Michigan primary. You know, George Wallace, the Alabama governor, yeah. right? You know, he wins the Michigan primary. Democrats, right? People say, oh, you know, Wallace was a – but no, Wallace was a Democrat. Let's get that straight, okay? He he was on his way to winning the Democratic nomination in 72, right? And until uh, uh, Arthur Bremer shot him and paralyzed him, Um but he won the, the the it was not showing up in the polls to to to, to your point exactly yeah it is it's i mean uh, the, the thing that i took away this morning which which i found really fascinating when you think of and this is kind of segueing back to markets when you think of the uh, effort and the intent that's gone into trying to protect markets from a fall right uh, you and i left dinner last night and the market was down i think 750 points yeah the dow yeah we had market and, limit on yeah, the e-meetings yeah. on the, on the, I mean, on the futures. Yeah. Was down. Yeah. You wake up this morning, the market's up 30 points. Exactly. And, you know, markets, if you leave markets alone to digest information, there is no organization, no group of people, nobody is better at digesting information, repricing things to the correct level. And, yeah, that may be 20% lower, but they will find the price like that. And then they'll settle and then they'll work out which way to go. And we saw that, a microcosm of that, overnight. Um Everybody waking up this morning thinking it's the end of the world for markets. No, markets yeah. have assessed the risk. They've priced it. Now, we're going to see some volatility for sure, but the world didn't end last night, and the markets realized that. And I think that's so important. Yeah, no, it's critical. And in fact, I'm already seeing the development of, of a positive market narrative. Similarly, you saw a positive market narrative right after Brexit. But here, we're not even getting that blip down that you saw with Brexit. But where you're really seeing some, I'll call it a dislocation, is at the, the the long end of the yield curve okay. today, right? Because the so longer dated U.S. Treasuries are going up in yield, down in price. Why? Because the story, the narrative, is around fiscal spending, infrastructure spend, tax reform. It's a positive story, right? That should generate you know, animal spirits and inflation and all, all that stuff, stuff that that's been the goal of the yeah. central bank, you know, commissariat, you know, for, for a while now, but they haven't, they haven't done. Now I'll tell you again, my personal view is that this is nonsense. This, this notion that, you know, infrastructure spend is your way out of all this. I, I think that's, you know, stuff and nonsense, but I don't, I'm not going to get in the way of it. I'm not going to get in front of it. Because I, I see it rolling, I see it happening in markets, and it's gonna it's gonna make a difference in markets. Yeah, the oh, sort of narrative sure. development for sure. I, I don't think it's I don't think anyone thinks it's the way out. I think people think it's a way to avoid something rather than a way to actually right. get a, a successful outcome. But you know, I think we're going to see it, and whether Trump had come in or Hillary came in, the outcome was going to be the same because it kind of has to be at this point. It has to be. Well, well Grant, you travel more, you talk to more people than anyone I know. <laughs> so, so what let's, you know, I think we're, we're all focused on the, the, the U S and the, the immediate impact of, of, of this election, but markets are forward looking. We have to be forward looking. Right. So, 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 so what's next, right? Where does this populist movement, this anti-globalization movement, where does it go next? What are you looking at? What are you thinking about for, for what's next? Well, I th- I, to me, the place that I think everybody needs to be looking is once again back to China. Now this is out mm-hmm, of the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of stuff that, that's happening in China 
politically with you know, the Philippines moving into the Chinese yep. orbit. That, that's not the end of anything. That's the beginning of something. Um, we're starting to see more pressure on the yuan. We're starting to see the Chinese once again get put in a position where they might have to make some drastic steps. And, and I think with the election here out of the way, we are going to see increased volatility. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And it's been suppressed for so long that it tends to have these nasty shocks. So I think investors need to be ready to have some moves that they haven't been thinking. We've had this nice steady move. We've had a yeah. couple of little blips, but for yeah, yeah, seven yeah. or eight months, we've had a nice upwards mark. I think that's going to end. I think the pressure is now back on the Fed. Um, and I suspect, once again, we're back to this whole thing keying on the dollar. I think, I, you have to I think that's on. right. I think that, that the Fed might still hike in December just to F with Trump. Yeah, they, they may do it, it because, it, look, it doesn't hurt the credit, but they said they were going to do it. And it, it right. kind of says that we're, that we're nonpartisan if we do it. But I think it would be a mistake for them to do it. Oh, I, I totally agree. Right. But, but, I, I, but I think now they've got – they're in the clear. Well, people, people forget that we had all this. We had a year build up to the first twenty-five basis point hike, and it kind of came and went quietly without any big immediate fireworks. And the market, or the, the media uh, memory, is so short that when markets fell significantly in January and February, no one actually traced that back uh, to, yeah. the, to the Fed hike, which, right. which which amazed me. It's madness, right? Yeah, and I think we're in danger of seeing exactly the same thing happen again, only this time in a more tenuous political situation. Um, with volatility creeping up, with governments and uh, central banks even more stretched, you know, the, the, the Japanese move to peg the yield curve yeah. at 10 years, to me, is the thing that everybody should be talking about. And right. nobody really is. It's kind of come and gone. Well, well explain well, on, the, on, on the podcast what that was and why you think that's so important. Well, I mean, look, the BRJ have been getting more and more desperate. And I think when, when they took rates negative back in January mm-hmm. this year, the market reaction was very telling. It went completely the wrong way for the Bank of Japan. And the Nikkei went down, the yen got stronger, right, and that right. really was not supposed to happen. That clearly hasn't worked. The banking system in Japan is coming under tremendous pressure now because they can't make any money. So now they've decided, they've said they're going to peg the Japanese yield curve with a 10-year at zero. And they'll let the long end and the short end fluctuate around that. Now, that kind of came and went because it wasn't an extreme, overt financing mm-hmm. that people were mm-hmm. expecting. Mm-hmm. But if we do get a backup in rates, if we do get some kind of inflation in Japan, if we do get something that tests the Bank of Japan's desire and, more importantly, their ability to peg that thing at zero, they've essentially now written an unlimited check. And right. that, to me, that move is the first concrete step where you can watch a path to them completely losing their credibility. Because they now have, like the Swiss had with the Frank Pay. But listen, do they lose their credibility or do they just stick with the program? Does, is this where helicopter money happens? Possibly. Right? But, but you're stuck. A perpetual bond at zero, you know, that the you know, BOJ just buys up. I, I think those ideas, they all sound great. But when you, when you actually talk seriously about enacting them, that's going to come out in your currency. I mean, the yen. Oh, for sure. I mean, be careful yeah. what you wish for. Oh, yeah, yeah. The yen gets, gets killed. Crushed. Killed. Crushed. Right. Um, and so. We all know there are no unintended consequences, but I think that move by the Japanese, we now have something we can watch. Right. There is a, a stress point that when things start to shift against them, the same way the Swiss franc pegged to the, to the euro mm-hmm. for four mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. eventually mm-hmm. we all knew that that wasn't going to work. The only people who didn't were the Swiss National Bank when they ended the peg, it cost them 60 billion Swiss francs, which for a country, that's 10% of GDP. It's frightening what these things can do. And so now the Japanese have said, okay, here's what we're going to do. The markets can gently test them, uh, and if we get some kind of move that means people sell off the Japanese tenure aggressively, 
we could see a situation where a central bank gets punched in the face, which hasn't happened realistically since uh, the UK in 94, when they were forced out of the yeah. Europe. Yeah. Markets do that. Every now and again, central bankers don't get their own way and they've become so used to doing it. That, to me, is a very important market. So what is your take on the Italian vote on December 4th? I, I think it's the most important un- misunderstood event of the year. Uh, I mean, everyone knew about the US election. Everyone right. understands it. I think the Italian election, um, ironically, not so much for Italy, but for Europe, right. potentially is is a tremendous uh, watershed moment. I mean, I was astounded that Renzi tied his future to that referendum. I mean, he's kind of had to walk it back now. Um, but saying, if I don't get my way, I'm going to resign, when you've got... Uh, so my analogy for that, for the poker players on the who are listening to this, is that he shoved all in with a middle pair and a weak kicker. And then kind right? of tried to see if he could get some of his yeah, chips back. Yeah, get some chips back. But, but it always struck me that the, the game he's playing was much less with the Italian electorate and much more with Germany in terms of who's going to be responsible for, for recapitalizing the, the, the Italian banks. Yeah, no, I think that was yeah. a big part of it. But I think the changes that this referendum could potentially make to the Italian political landscape, I think he's realized the ramifications of that now with this rise of the populism yeah. In, yeah. In, with Five Star and Beppe Grillo. Um, this is a major referendum. And as Churchill said, people vote what, how they feel in referendums. It's not about the issue. This is right. about where I'm Right, right. You're not, you're, not, you're not forced to vote for somebody. No, exactly. right? You can just vote your feelings against a, uh, yeah, the government that's proposing yeah, this. Yeah, uh, Pippa Malgram was in um, Italy filming some pieces for Ruvishan this week, uh, talking to some very senior political figures and business figures, and you know, her takeaway was there's no way this thing's going to pass. She was really surprised by you how know, strong I, it I, I thought that as well going into this, but, but I'll tell you, when, when I look at the, the uh, votes that occurred in Spain in the, the weeks following Brexit, right, you saw really a, a move in favor of the status quo, yep. in favor of the government. Again, again talking about the, the, the media presentation or representation, representation of the Brexit event, yeah. right? Which was, oh my God, this is t- terrible. And, you know, it got people in Spain say, well, I'm fearful for my I'm children. Holding my I'm holding my kids. Yeah. Hold, yeah. I'm holding my kids close. Yeah. And I'll be, I'll be really interested to see what I'm watching carefully is let's look at European media in general, the Italian media in particular, about how the Trump victory is portrayed over there. Right? Is it portrayed as, oh my God, this is going to be the end of Western civilization? In which case, I think now the government vote has a chance where it's it a didn't great point. before. It's a really, really good point. Right? Or if it's presented as, oh, you know what? Trump election happened. Markets didn't really quiver. It's going to be okay, which I think could embolden the vote. So I, I think that narrative development over the next three weeks is, is what I'm really going to focus really, on. It's a good point that I hadn't really thought about. But I mean, you're right, because post-Brexit, none of the bad things happened. Right, but, but it's taken six months for people to realize to realize that shelters and go, hey, well, the sun's still shining. Maybe there isn't enough time between now and, and the Italian referendum on December the fourth. So yeah, you may be right. This this could that actually could be a, a real swing uh, event. So we've got the December fourth vote in Italy. We've got the Fed meeting a week and a half yep. later. Yep. Let's say exactly. we've got. I agree with you. It's it, it. China is everything, and the dollar and. What, whether the dollar goes up or down is 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 going to determine what happens there. 
right? So, I mean, my rule of thumb is if you can only watch one thing, I want to know what the dollar is doing. And if the dollar is going up, that's bad for risk assets. And if the dollar is going down, that's good for risk assets. I mean, is it is it more complicated than that in your view? Well, not right now it isn't. Right. And I think that's that's another great point that feeds into all this. That markets have become incapable of focusing on anything more than one thing. Um, and so the, you know, the discounting mechanism of markets, you, you, when you look at the volatility we've seen just around this election yesterday, I mean, it was extraordinary to watch a market do that. But that was really, to me, just positioning. People yeah. had got positioned one way, same with Brexit, same with Sterling we saw on Brexit. It was this massive move that everyone talked about. It was actually unwinding people getting the wrong side of the trade in the lead up to it. But markets have this seeming inability to focus on more than one major thing at the moment. And I think if you have to pick one, I think you're absolutely right. As the dollar goes, so goes everything else. My my um, my debate internally is between the strong dollar camp and the, and the weak dollar camp. I've, I've been in both camps at various right, points right, right. along the ride. You know, I, I think and I've been there sometimes simultaneously. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I think now we're at the point where the consequences of a strong dollar are so enormous that if it, if it does go materially stronger from here, that's a really bad sign because I think they will try and do everything they can to stop that happening uh, because it's, it's just so dangerous. Yeah, I, listen, I, I completely agree with you, but I look at what's happening now, right? and, and now part of this narrative around, oh, we're going to do the infrastructure and fiscal policy and tax reform, the dollar is strengthening on that. Yeah. And if the Fed comes out and also hikes in December, you know, the dollar is going one way, and it ain't down, it's going up. Yeah. And that's what puts the pressure on China. No doubt, no doubt. And the pressure is is getting stronger. So, I mean, it's ironic that, that the uh, you know the dollar is seen as the safe haven. So so what do people do when you have Trump voted in? <laughs> and so well, you, you can't flee to the safe haven right, anymore because right, you've got right, a right. supposed madman. It's, it's, right. yeah. it's it's I mean these are fascinating times. Hey Grant, you know we started this conversation talking about the media, talking about the political media, uh, CNN and, and the like. I want to I want to end this podcast by bringing it back to financial media because you know your efforts with Real Vision. You know, we, we talk about authenticity and having not just a, a monolithic point of view. I think what you're doing with Real Vision is a great example of where we're going and how to 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 go. Right. So, you know, some of the people on this podcast aren't unfamiliar with what you're doing. What 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 is Real Vision, and and, and what are you what are you doing with that? Well, it's it. What we tried to do was create a platform where people could talk about finance, but without any bias. We we have no dog in the hunt. My, my co-founder, Ralph Powell, and I, we're both finance guys. We both have an opinion, but we want to hear other opinions. So we sit down with the smartest guys in the world, and there's one really smart guy has been on three times, which I think is a record, um, and we just talk to them, and we try and create a platform where you can have a fair and balanced debate without any of the, oh, you disagree with me, you must be wrong, you're an idiot. We don't want that because that's not how you get constructive about finance, and, and, and finance touches everybody, and never more so than now. I mean... This is a this is a time when you didn't need to know about finance until two thousand five. You could kind right. of let it all right. go over right. the background. Right. And it would kind of work out. Now people need to understand what's going on. They need to understand the dangers. They need to understand the risks. And there's really nowhere they can do that except this incredible talent pool of 35, 40 years of the brightest minds in the world have all been attracted to to Wall Street because that's where they could get paid. You came out with a PhD in yep. chemical engineering. You the best chance for great paying job was Wall Street. So we've got this incredible. Um, uh, talent pool of minds 
and no one's talking to them. So we just thought, let's go out there and speak to them and get their opinions and do it in an environment where they feel comfortable talking and to an audience that are respectful and just want to learn. And I mean, the feedback has just been incredible. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an enormous resource. And I think uh, it's only going to get stronger because again, it's the, and I also like the, the long form, you know, a, approach. Out of it. And, and I think about what's available and I, and I think about what I've tried to do with epsilon theory, you know, on the one hand, people say it was the age of Twitter, you know, and 140 characters. I actually think it's the age of the, the essay. Yeah. It's the age of the essay. It's it's it, because anyone can put something out there. And if it's interesting enough or I'll say good enough, you'll find an audience. I completely agree. There's an audience that's really hungry. And you've, you've found that in, in, in real vision with the conversations and the content you're putting out there. It's, they're like mini essays, you yeah. know, in interview form. And I, and I think that it, it just fits the, the nature of our time so well. It, it does feel like that pendulum is swinging back from short, soundbitey content. You know, we, I don't want an instant take on the jobs numbers. I'd rather speak to a guy two days later who's had time to process them and can really lay out what he thinks it means rather than, you know, Apple just... Give me a hot take on yeah. the jobs number. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. There's, there's no real value in that. I mean, it's just not what we want to do. I mean, I guess there's a place for it, but it's certainly not what we want to do. Yeah. Well, Grant, I can't thank you enough for, uh, for, for joining me here on this, on the day after. Right. And, uh, <laughs> again, that was a pretty damn good show. I gotta, I gotta tell you, no one, no one, uh, you know, one in a thousand people will remember the day after, but, uh, uh, thank you, Grant. Oh, it's a great it. pleasure. I'm th- thrilled to have you on. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Grant, thanks so much for joining us. Things that make you go home. T T M Y G H on Twitter. All right. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate it.